gozaimasu. It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular, and I am here with the most controversial otter in Florida. Who are you? Hi, I, I'm River Page. I'm a contributing editor at twinkrep.com. Um, and yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> yeah, general shit stirrer. Glad to have you. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, I'm just like drinking some tea in this little corner that I've uh, sort of hollowed out for myself. Uh, my apartment flooded during Hurricane Sally. And so um, like all of my shit is just kind of everywhere. And um, I turned the dehumidifiers off so that we could record. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God sent a plague to uh, punish me for sodomy. Um, yeah. And flooded my house. <laughs> so How high did the water go? Um, it was like an inch or so uh, off the ground. I know it wasn't high enough to like ruin my couch, which I was thankful for. Um, but like it got like fairly high, like high enough to where like they're concerned about like there being mold in the walls, which is why they have all these fans and shit in here. Um, but yeah. Oh, fun. It, mold in the walls. Love it. Yeah, great. <laughs> so uh, why do you follow me? Um, well, I was... I think that you followed me and then I was like, oh, who's this? And I was like, okay, uh, Japanese drag queen, uh, genuine shit post. Uh, like yes. I, I just felt, I felt like a kinship uh, with just like uh, the sort of like bitchy, irreverent Marxist, uh, like a weird mix of like normie uh, gay shit and like Marxism, which I feel like is kind of my sort of brand. Definitely your brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny because I actually just um, talked to Sam and Gian. We had like a Zoom call last week and I was not in drag. I had my boy face out and both of them were like, oh, you're white. They had just presumed I was Asian. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I knew you live in Japan, but I was like, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, it's uh, a mystery with all that like pounds of makeup on my face. Yeah, I know. You're doing like a real uh, like Rachel Dolezal thing. Yeah. Uh, but for your <laughs> just like actual race. Um yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, yeah, so I'm really happy you're on this show. The writing you've contributed to Twink Rev, I think, is just fucking phenomenal. You did a really Thank great you. piece about, um, like, gay sex moralism and the kind of panic that's going on with age gaps and the politicization of that. I think, like, my favorite quote of writing from the year that comes from that article where uh, I'm just going to read this quote I set out because I think it's so hot. Uh, this is a part of a new and particular psychosis set into motion by the assimilation of gay men into polite society, which culminated with the na nationwide legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015. For a particular class of gay men both into born into this era, the goal seems now to be, at least when others are looking, to eschew casual sex and only date within one's economic class and age cohort, supposedly because of some radical navel-gazing about power dynamics. In reality, it is nothing more than a way to preserve the rigid, conservative, petite bourgeoisie social values in which they were raised. I honestly think that's, like, the most, like, tactile, like, on-the-spot, like, take on all of this, like, complete moralist nonsense going on within the gay community right now yeah i think that that's true and and it's becoming like more and more prevalent i've noticed um like among like sort of these like middle class boys who like grew up in 
like sort of like nominally accepting like uh, liberal families, uh, which like I did not like my family's very working class, like very Baptist, like backwater right. East Texas types. And so like, <clears throat> but like, you know, they've never known an age where like gay people were seen as anything but like a sort of, uh, you know, either accessory for like straight women to like tote around or just like a, you know, Pete Buddha judge. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they insist on like the continuation of like this, you know, queer identity, which has just been expanded and expanded and expanded to like include, um, you know, straight guys who paint their nails every once in a while. But the entire like meaning of queerness is absolutely hollow because everyone is, you know, just been assimilated and is mainstreamed now because of these people, because they, you know, decided that it was more important to be uh, accepted than tolerated. And I'd much rather gay people just be sort of tolerated and left alone than... Um, yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, than just sort of try, uh, you know, brought in and, you know, layered on with all the sort of same expectations and... Um, sort of thing that that straight people have because one of the critiques that i got uh i mean that article was pretty well received i mean uh had katie halper and glenn greenwald and a bunch of people who I, are way too famous to know who i am like retweet it um and uh, glenn came on the twinker podcast to talk about it but the i did get some sort of pushback from some people who were like oh well this sort of age gap discourse has been happening with with straight people for a long time and like you know maybe this isn't unique to the gay experience. And I was like, or, you know, you're just sort of now getting it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true because there has been a sort of panic uh, among like, you know, younger women dating older men, which is something that has always happened. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden people are very uh, sort of anxious about that now. And I think it's comes from, you know, a lot of these sort of upper middle class business women uh, or like professional women who put off and put off and put off trying to find someone and then they get uh, sort of like envious when younger women start dating like the men that are in their age and their class that they feel like they're entitled to. Yeah, there's like totally an element of jealous rage. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, they just assume that those men would be waiting around for them to, you know, finish their careers or whatever. And they're finding that that's not uh, really the case. And um, I sort of just like view that all as an outsider. I don't really care what straight people do, but I draw the line when they start sort of projecting their weird, uh, you know, bourgeois morality on, on us fags. Yeah. I don't understand why anyone would, like, want to pursue, like, you know, like, a buttoned-up, will-and-grace, like, image for gays. Like, the only fun thing we have is, like, our vulgar culture and, like, getting to be whores on Grindr. Like, leave us alone. I just, <laughs> I want to be gross. I know. I know. The right to be gross. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, what we should have been, you know, rallying for this whole time, but instead, you know, we got post-HIV-AIDS gays in the 90s just sucking Bill Clinton's dick all day. And now here yeah. we are. Yeah, that's true. And the same thing with uh, Obama as well. And, and I think that it's like, I remember ta Coates, who I normally like sort of dislike his writing because he's mm -hmm. kind of just like a lib and like sort of like the, 
if you could call anyone a, like a race reductionist, it would probably be Ta-Nehisi Coates just because he's like, you know, all white people are inherently reactionary, like congenitally racist or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, and, and just like, doesn't talk about class at all. But I think that he was correct when he, uh, or like his sort of line that, you know, Barack Obama is like the only black man who could have become president in 2008 because he was so, uh, you know, distant from like the sort of mainstream of black culture because he was raised in Hawaii in an upper middle class white family and he reminded sort of rich liberals of themselves. Yeah. I think that is the same thing that's true of somebody like Pete Buttigieg is where like they will uh, sympathize with you and they'll be willing to accept you as one of their own as long as they can see themselves in you. But if they can't, then, you know, you're gross and you're a pervert and, and whatever. Yeah, I just uh, finished reading Peter Buttigieg's, uh, his husband's memoir. I was going to talk about it on the pod. Oh, but my God. Friend, my friend got busy, so I had to wait until, like, next month when he finishes, like, campaign stuff. But, yeah, um, that's exactly the sense I got as well, is that, like, both him and his husband are just uh, working to craft themselves in an image that is, like, palatable to heterosexuals. And, like, just, like, the... the stagnant gay humor of like an underdeveloped like teenager it seemed like very much like the glee version of being a gay man if that makes sense yeah well that i mean that's kind of the whole um sort of project that it's not just happening to gay people really i mean it's happening to all kinds of people it's just like that hrification of our entire society because like what the purpose of hr is and like liberalism i think like in its modern iteration is to obfuscate like the obvious contradictions in society and just sort of like put parameters on like what is acceptable uh behavior to like the sort of capitalist class and so like you can uh you know you can be gay but like within these sort of parameters of of what is acceptable or you can be black like within the these parameters of what is acceptable and like it's just sort of like i think i said one time like on twitter that like liberalism is like the lube of capital Mm -hmm. just because like it's easier to fuck somebody when you're also you know like waving a pride flag in their face and being like no we support you (laughs) you know right and so it's like it's just uh to provide you know a sort of cover for what is actually just you know the same sort of uh morality that that's always existed which is yeah, just a- it, it sinks in so deep like that's in politics but i mean obviously it goes like as obviously as when you're looking at corporations during june when every single company puts that stupid ass like pride like logo on their icons on twitter and like posts like a 20 second video clip that some intern designed like talking about pride you know as long as we're like being sold back like the image of gay acceptance like it's just going to continue like contributing to that loop of capitalism that you mentioned right absolutely and i mean because i mean i think anna katchen like got uh sam and gian on twink web in trouble when she said something about uh trans women being like the neoliberal subject or something Mm -hmm. but i actually would disagree with her because i think that gay men are the ultimate neoliberal subject because i mean i mean look at us like as a general cohort like we're uh you know 
typically don't have children unless you know you want to and then you participate in this whole like surrogate economy like every like aspect of modern like gay life is commodified and commercialized because of you know the sort of idea which is somewhat stereotypical but like you know you can kind of back it up by data of like uh you know white gays sort of or just like gay men in general being like a you know fairly well educated um urban a cohort of consumers who have disposable income because they don't have children mm-hmm. um, and who like, you know, nice things uh, because they have like a woman's brain or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and so I think, you know, there was a decision made um, among like the sort of gay activists and in, in the nineties of like, okay, either we can continue being separate and apart or we can, just allow ourselves to be commodified and commercialized and align ourselves with capital um, in order to advance ourselves uh, personally. And that's what they did. Um, And so we've sold our soul, at least in America, to capitalist Satan. And uh, now we have to live with the fallout, which is being woke scolded by 20 something like media gays in New York, like, did you see that tweet the other day of uh, the fucking, like, uh, media guy in New York, like, in his 20s, like, messaging people in Pennsylvania to vote for Biden? No. Like, yeah. random people? Yeah, just, like, <laughs> using, like, the grinder like, Discover feature to, like, hop around rural America and demand that these, like, rural men, like, vote for Biden or die. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so... Ugh. And now so here we dark. are. Yeah. <laughs> so dark. I, yeah, I, I know immediately. I'm like, okay, how many people blocked you? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, was he even sending dick pics? Like, was he even providing? No, he any didn't even have the decency. No. Oh God, the horror. Yeah, I like, mean, at least like sell your body a little bit. Like, send whole for Biden. Like, we need something. <laughs> no, I mean the the minute that like the democratic party starts canvassing on grinder is the day when we just need to burn it all down because oh, yeah. uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to be gay anymore. Uh, there, there, no. Oh God. I, I think it's that. like with those grinder ads, it's going to pop up in your face and remind you to register to vote. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're just being babied now. Um, did you register like, to vote? Did you register? Hey, don't forget. Oh, sweetie, did take your Truvada and register to vote. Like, <laughs> like I do not need Grinder to to be my fucking mother. Um, of course, my mother would never doesn't know what Truvada is and would never tell me to vote. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Ugh, disgusting. Ugh. Yeah, disgusting is right. Um, I guess we should mention um uh, because it's like the only thing that happened this week except for Lady Gaga's new video is um. The notorious RVG is dead. Oh, the notorious LIB. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's so dead. She's she's really dead. That poor Jewish yeah. woman has been like dead for like eight years now. It was just like waiting for the life to completely vacate. Well, they've just been like peddling her around. I mean, like it's ugh. It's disgraceful. The Democrat, yeah, it is, and like the way that the Democratic Party has like built their entire, you know, 
castle on on the back of this poor old jewish lady's back (laughs) is so disgraceful and um i mean it is like brinkmanship i mean i honestly i mean because that bitch could have fucking retired under obama and they could have replaced her with i don't know a teenager or somebody who's gonna live forever or whatever but like and but they did that and it's because i think they honestly like democrats can never actually make anything uh good or safe because as much as they like to pretend that it's like the Republicans who are always like running on the court and stuff, like they're doing it too. Like they're just like fear mongering, like liberal women into thinking that they're not going to be able to have abortions anymore um, as a way for, to get people to vote for Biden. Exactly. Um, like the and- AOC video. Did you see, did you see that? No. Oh my God. Awful. She was like, this is not about, agreeing with joe biden like she essentially said that this is not this election is not about like you agreeing with joe biden's politics this is about continuing american democracy and giving it a lifeline and like th- this sounds more of an argument to not vote for him <laughs> what they have to do is like they have to raise the stakes and like, they have to pretend that like donald trump is like some like a literal fascist or that he's mm-hmm. ending democracy even though it's clearly not true. Like there were midterm elections, which functioned perfectly fine. Yeah. And we know they functioned perfectly fine because Democrats took back the house. So it's like, I, I mean, it, it is, they do this every election. Every season. single cycle ever. And, and it's just like, I mean, like the goal of the democratic party is to, it, it's basically just a bunch of rich people holding um, like ethnic and like sexual minorities hostage like a battered wife <laughs> and just being like oh you think you can you're gonna find somebody better than me and then just like oh slap you again like that i mean that's what they're done that's to all exactly of us. right I mean, it's so true yeah because like they're like you know republicans are so scary and awful and they're gonna take away all your rights and all of that and it's like i've lived in red states my entire life and like honestly not that much different than living like in a blue state like it's not like i mean america is fucked all the from all corners i mean oh yeah like california is a fucking dystopia and democrats have been running that place for decades and so like nothing can be good in america like and i'm really tired of like having the gun pointed at my head being like if you don't if you fucking leave me i'm gonna shoot like at least like if you're gonna like you know toss me around with your shame politics like why can't you be hot you know like why can't i have a lana del rey moment of like you you hit me and it felt like a kiss like it's just all (laughs) of these like crunchy like no aesthetic like absolutely boring like liberals there's no drama to liberals like i want more energy No, I mean, liberals, like, have absolutely killed the aesthetic. That's why, like, you, I, I feel like a big drive uh, of, like, people towards, like, the sort of right or, like, the sort of populist, like, all light, right, whatever, like, uh, non-libertarian, right, is, like, that they do actually have some sort of, like, aesthetic or, like, BAP or, um, I don't know, like, the perfume nationalist or, like, these sort of like neo-reactionary types who do mm-hmm. actually have like an appreciation for art and culture because so the sort of like in the name of like uh intersectionality and um 
just sort of like feminism or like whatever ethnic studies you know yeah. people just like making work for themselves in the humanities uh like all art has been deemed uh reactionary and for people who enjoy art you know they're like oh well if if i enjoy this and it's reactionary then then i must be reactionary um uh you know and, and all this is done with like no uh you know real relevance paid to the context or, or anything like that and i mean the aesthetics of the left are are, are dead i mean even just so go beyond ugly. go beyond i mean like liberals aesthetic is very like ikea furniture just like everything is sterile uh sterility i think is like the defining feature of american liberalism mm -hmm. um like it's like we want a cleaner dystopia yeah it's, it's like completely like wiping out all of like the dirty sex grunge which i think is like the most like interesting part of aesthetics in general yeah and it's about like celebrating diversity by um just like creating a marketable like caricature of every single demographic yeah. whether it be like gay people or latinos which is a fake made-up category that doesn't exist <laughs> um i mean it doesn't like i mean if you take someone from argentina and somebody from guatemala those people have nothing in common besides the fact that they both speak spanish or maybe yeah Catholic. i mean and they're all have they're they're struggling um, with that now as they're all kind of like canceling each other over like who is more latinx than the other so yeah, right and uh the same thing with asian people uh, just pretending that this like category of asian exists and that like all of these people are like one thing uh when of course i mean i'm sure as you know like living in japan like asian people hate each other oh my god yeah <laughs> I, literally it's um amazing like how many times like before I, I got with my boyfriend like i would just be like in a casual like you know i'd be on a night out with some guy or like i'd, I'd met someone at a bar we've been talking for you know 25 minutes and then Oh, all Chinese people are evil. It just, it comes out. They, they just want to share. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and honestly, like, white people were like that with other white people until, like, 50 years ago. In this yeah, country. until like, Irish people and Italians became, yeah. hated each other. Yeah, it's like, um, and so I think that they've, because they've, you know, created this sort of uh, arbitrary, like, uh, sort of, like, whiteness, uh, or whatever, like all white people are just kind of created this sort of like borderless sort of identity that that's yeah. going to work with everybody else. And it's not going to because like the populations aren't big enough. It's like too disparate and like it's just not going to work. But yeah, well, I think this is a good segue actually into the first topic I wanted to bring up. We've already covered like so much delicious ground already, but um I want to talk to you about class reductionism because uh, you got fucking canceled. Like, you got mm -hmm. dogpiled for um, a tweet kind of discussing, like, what we were honestly just kind of um, going through, and in which you were accused of being a class reductionist. Would you mind, like, sharing, like, the narrative of that controversy with the audience? Oh, well, I, so I said, uh, I, like, made some tweet late at night, which I, I mean, I've said so many more controversial mm -hmm. things. I, I don't. I don't know why this is the thing uh, that got me canceled. But I said, uh, you know, working class white people uh, don't really have an obligation towards white guilt because we aren't the ones who are exploiting 
black people the capitalist classes and half mm -hmm. of them are asian now and then there's a second part of that tweet which nobody followed up that was like that actually said like you know black people are like poor black people are like disproportionately uh you know aggrieved in like all these various ways i listed uh to white people but shouldn't like white people shouldn't feel poor white people shouldn't feel guilty that they're like slightly less likely to uh, be homeless or shot by the cops or whatever like instead we should build like a you know cross racial coalition of working class people blah 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 standard marxism right yeah and um strangely enough like out of all the things that were in that tweet the one thing that people latched onto and like was were trying to cancel right was the asian saying half the capitalist class is asian now which I'm sorry, but like, are we just going to pretend that like Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, India, like uh, Indonesia, like Korea, like all of these, like, I mean, China isn't a capitalist country, but like all the other ones I listed that these are not uh, like giant capitalist economies um, or even within like China, which is a communist country that there isn't a giant capitalist class. Oh yeah. Like there's absolutely contradictions there where there is like a lot of like capitalist like uh, benefit in that country as well. So, yeah. I mean, even if you took it to like, you know, if you interpret it as I was saying like, oh, well in America, I mean, that's on, that's the on average, the fucking reader for like not <laughs> thinking beyond the like the one country they know. Yeah. I mean, it, the average i mean even if you did take it down to like the average i mean probably not in terms of like numbers but i mean like asian people in this country are statistically richer than white people and that's because of the immigration system that we've created post uh 1965 i believe uh was the year that we created the immigration nationality act which uh essentially like prioritized high skill immigrants um and set caps on like various countries so if you want to immigrate here and you're from somewhere like china india uh south korea whatever really the only way to come here is to marry an american have mm -hmm. family already here or be like a doctor or an engineer or like a computer coder and so like yeah if you or have money to start a business and so like i mean it shouldn't be surprising that like asian people as a whole most of whom came here after 1965 or their, their parents did or whatever that they would make more money than like the average white worker yeah um, i can't say i know like exactly the numbers here or like back you up on it but i mean even if we're like not discussing like the numbers i mean it's just obvious that like a lot of asian americans are now like a huge part of like the like ruling capitalist class like i just think that's undeniable even if you don't agree with like the specific statistics that you stated which i think are honestly like superfluous to like the fact that it's just simply true <laughs> like they are now yeah um and i mean it wasn't like <laughs> like it's a fucking tweet first of all like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the people who are getting mad about it i'm like well this is very suspicious that you're and they're like this is the model minority trope and i was like i mean is that hurting anyone? Like who's, who's harmed by like the idea that like Asian people are smart? <laughs> like, oh, like God. that, like it's such, it's the stupidest trope. I was like, I mean like the tropes about like 
uh, I don't know, like poor white people in the South are probably more harmful than they are about like, oh, well, like the, the stereotypes about you are all good things. Like, great. Like, I mean, I had to like change my accent when I went to college so people wouldn't make fun of me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's really dumb. I, um, I don't get it. I don't get why people were mad. I refuse to apologize for it. Um, yeah, and one of the biggest things they called you is a uh, class reductionist. Yeah, and that's a, a sort of term that I've been thinking about for a long time, and I've sort of come to the conclusion that the term class reductionist has essentially just become a... It is essentially like the new McCarthyism of like the mm-hmm. rad lib left, because the idea, like if you ask these people to define like what class reductionism is, they'll tell you it's like the idea that like social problems are uh, the result of class conflict or like class uh, distinctions or the class system or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, isn't that Marxism? Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure that, like, according to Marx, the primary contradiction in society is between the working class and the bourgeoisie. Right. Um, So Marx canceled for being a class reductionist. (laughs) Um, And and, I mean, it is true, like, you can use this sort of... uh, sort of white supremacy model, which seems to be like the model that they're working on, including a lot of people who are calling themselves Marxists, but they're working in this sort of liberal, um, white fragility, like Robin DiAngelo thought yeah. sort of thing where uh, it's like, you know, white people are inherently reactionary or um, there's basically just like class free sort of thing but like even like the best version of that which is just like recognizing that like there are like the white supremacy model like works to a certain extent for explaining uh disparities in the united states between like wealth and incarceration rates between like you know black people and white people generally but but i think that most of that still probably goes back to class because if you sort of like distinguish between african-americans like people who are descended from slaves and like you know more recent uh immigrants from like africa or jamaica or Mm -hmm. like the caribbean or whatever like those sort of disparities in like wealth and incarceration don't really exist and it would seem to me that you know white supremacy served a class purpose which was to like create a perpetual um sort of underclass and to push like you know racism you know into the populace like among the working classes to divide them yeah i think this is exactly true um because like the way that like white supremacy has like functioned has like been to like basically like create like class stratifications in which like you know more working class people can be used to like create these like superstructures of industry which is like the entire function of slavery (laughs) and it only continues now into like the prison labor system in which all of these people are in a state of enslavement and have to do like work and labor for like inhuman amounts of money 
So I think that all of like the kind of uh, racial structures like you're talking about here, like do ultimately go back into serving like a capitalist like system. Right. And if you like, you can sort of think about it as like black people, like being sort of like the bottom in like places where they're at to a certain extent, like, but like, if you go to, for instance, like states that aren't, or like areas where there aren't a lot of black people, like you still have an underclass that's oftentimes like criminalized and incarcerated and Mm -hmm. and whatever. And like, that might be, if you're like in one of like the big sky sort of states, like that might be native Americans, or if you're in like Appalachia, that might just be like poor white people, or it might be Latinos. If you're in like somewhere in the Southwest, like, you know, like it's, you know, there's always going to be somebody at the bottom and like for much of American society in certain parts of the U S it's, you know, been black people. And like, you could recognize that, but you could also recognize that all of this kind of goes back to like a series of economic exploitation and like capital doesn't really care. Like, I mean, there's a reason that all of these uh, corporations can put like BLM or whatever, like in their Twitter bio, Mm -hmm. because like they, it, it doesn't really matter to capital anymore. Like whether what color, like the underclass is like, they just need an underclass. And yeah. if it's, you know, Latinos, that's fine. If it's poor white people, it's fine. If it's black people, it's fine. If it's some mixed, that's fine. Um, and I mean, because like that is like the project of uh, this sort of like liberal, um, like, you know, racial project is like not to like eliminate poverty, uh, even among black people. It's just to like, uh, make it more, make poverty more equal or whatever, like to, you know, create a sort of, uh, you know, black petty bourgeoisie or like black professional class so that you can pretend that, so, so you can just blame poverty on people's individual actions, mm-hmm. um, instead of on like, you know, the systematic, um, you know, sort of oppression of black people, how they were kept from property and all that sort of stuff. Like, because since like the underclass is so racialized in the United States, it's so clear yeah. that like, you know, uh, who the victims are in many cases. Right. And I think this all goes back to like the idea of calling someone a class like reductionist and it's um trying to make yourself out like to seem like an elevated Marxist of some kind. But like what you're really doing is just like, distracting from the problems that like face any person in like the bottom rung of society that like (laughs) corporatism has decided upon so it's all it's it's so stupid and i i think a lot of it comes from perhaps like um a lot of like these like lefties on twitter or whatever like people who now believe themselves to be marxists or communists like they came up in the same like undergraduate system that I think we kind of both did as well, where a lot of the, maybe you didn't as much, but I went to school in Oregon and uh, the administration and like the school, like social culture, like all of it is kind of like imparting like that liberal thought on you and especially like focused on ID politic kind of stuff. Uh, so you have to like unlearn that a little bit and like, push past it and I think that a lot of its tendrils like 
remain in people who have become like somewhat more radicalized towards the left. All of this sort of like arose during the like 1960s and 70s, like with the creation of the new left, which displaced the old left, the labor left, Marxist left. Mm -hmm. And all of this, uh, you know, there are, there are good parts of the new left. Um, like the civil rights movement, like just giving, you know, black people like basic, you know, civil rights, obviously that's good. Integration, obviously very good. Um, but then it sort of starts trailing off and it starts going into these, all these like different directions where um, people are sort of uh, fragmented in, in other ways. And um, it be, sort of becomes like a cult of individualism that is still some, that has to sort of work itself through a, um, a framework for the rest of society. So you have like, for instance, like uh, Betty Friedan's like the uh, feminine mystique, which, you know, was basically just saying, you know, women are imprisoned in the home and women need to go out and, and get jobs and do all this and you can have it all. You can have a career, you can have children and all that. And then I, somebody, you know, asked her one time, well, like, okay, well, if you're going out and having a career and you're having it all, like who's going to be taking care of your children? And she was like, oh, well, there'll be other women who do that. And she was like, and the interviewer was like, okay, well, who's going to take care of their children? And like, at a certain point you discover that like, okay, not everybody can have it all. Yeah. Right. And similar sort of things were happening um, even among like the sort of quasi Marxist sort of left. Like I think of like when I think of like how the modern sort of anarcho pseudo Marxist like left, which is sort of like exemplified in my mind uh, with like the Chaz um, autonomous, like the Seattle autonomous zone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of trace all of that back to the weather underground, which, you know, the weather underground, there's these, you know, upper middle class white kids who all went to like Columbia, who, and like University of Chicago, who were, um, you know, anti-war, but like, basically their revolutionary class um, was black people in the United States, but went out of their way to say, including black capitalists because black capitalists will be included uh, or will be more sympathetic towards uh, black workers than they will, uh, you know, capitalism, which I'm like, okay, well, gonna need a citation for that. (laughs) Um, uh, And also uh, the sort of like third world proletariat and that the uh, sort of American working class cannot, uh, you know, union working class can't really be trusted because they are, uh, you know, they have such a, they've created such a high standard of living for themselves and they're too comfortable or whatever. Um, And so they just really emphasize this idea that like, oh, well, people in the developing world are uh, suffering more than we are, even than like the poorest American. And so we have to turn all of our energies towards that and just recruit like college kids and, uh, you know, idealistic young people towards our goal because they're the only ones who aren't attached to like the old way of, uh, you know, 
of American life. Yeah. Uh, which had produced this class of people, by the way. There there would never have been a, a new left if it hadn't been for the old left. There would have never been uh, this massive entrance of right. uh, young people into college had it not been for you know the new left and great society projects that one like created a massive middle class through unionization and you know direct government investment into you know a hot you know an interstate system and uh, most you know public colleges and universities that are still around today were built in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, or 50s and 60s, I mean. And so the left, you know, alienated working class people by being like directly hostile to them and being like, you know, well, you're just comfortable. You're not going to, you know, fight for us to change things. And um, I mean, if you even just look back to the anti-war movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, that didn't even really start until the war had already been going on for like five years. Yeah. And it was when they started getting rid of draft deferments for college kids. And so then that's when all the rioting and stuff started and like working class people aren't stupid. Like they saw that, you know, these little like shits at Harvard and Yale decided to become communist when they thought that they were going to have to go die in Vietnam. But when, you know, our sons, like the sons of the working class were having to go die in Vietnam, you know, uh, this whole fucking time, they weren't saying anything. And um, I think that's when you start seeing this sort of like turn because like, I don't, I don't think that the new left, the ones who weren't like murdered by the FBI, like Fred Hampton. Yeah. I don't think they ever really cared about making things better for like working people in the United States. I really don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that the philosophy continues now. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's because like, I mean, it really does go back to like the class position of these people. These were upper middle class people who have gone on, uh, like everyone who participated in the weather underground. I mean, these people bombed like post offices and factories and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And like none of them are in prison today. Like they were all released like fairly quickly and just like went on to like teach at universities yeah (laughs) like they were just completely rehabilitated into life and like i mean they fucking murdered fran hampton like they like angela davis had you know was thrown into jail like the people who are actually radical did suffer but like these people never posed a threat like if anything they helped capital because they alienated uh you know the working class by just you know not speaking to the working class's direct interests and you can see that today with uh, you know what's going on in, in Portland and uh, Seattle, where you just have a bunch of upper middle class white people claiming to be fighting on the behalf of like poor black people, but there's no fucking poor black people in that city because they can't afford to live there. Yeah, it's all just a theater of um, like performing these politics basically, and it like literally is like taking on the elements of a stage production in Portland. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is really, like, corny and obscene. I mean, I... So corny. I, I went... Because I actually live in a place where there are actually Black people. Um, <laughs> Portland and... is not one of those places. It's, like, 20 people. Yeah, because I'm from Oregon, and um, there, there, it's not a lot. It's, like, a few per school, usually, and then they're all, like, shuttled off into, like, one other school in the district, so... Like, I went to a BLM protest here, and... 
it was mostly like you know black like church people like like they weren't like i mean like there actually was like the psl there and like some other people and they were working with them and like thankfully like being like sort of deferent um towards like the more moderate uh just like you know working class you know black church people uh because it is their community and like they should have the say on like what they want done but these people weren't calling to abolish the police like there were people speaking who were like you know i have relatives who are cops you know like i don't think we should you know we just need to like get rid of the police who are you know hurting us and you know i mean i'm not sympathetic to the abolish the police rhetoric uh that's i mean if you the need for police still exists even in uh communist societies uh so i don't you're just going to end up replacing it with like private contractors which will be even more brutal um than you know the police but yeah i mean we definitely need like overhaul and um I'm not like quite sure like what is to be done and how the how it should be accomplished. Um, but yeah, uh, I think on that note, actually, let's take a quick break, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Great. had like my second cigarette of the morning which is like my favorite one because it's the one that makes you just dizzy enough but not as much as the first one it's like that lovely little life reset i crave <laughs> i know that the first cigarette is always the best um always a that, journey <laughs> no that's why that's why i can't quit smoking if i could just have like the third cigarette um without having the first two i think i, I think i could quit what do you but... smoke I smoke American spirits, um, oh, which I, I, which I wish I hadn't like guarded, started smoking. I started smoking them when I like had a better job and was making more money because um, they're fucking expensive. But now like I can't smoke anything else. Like I just hate them. Like I can, I can like taste the like chemicals or something. Yeah. I smoke um Marlboro Reds. So definitely mm-hmm. a little chemical taste in there. <laughs> Yeah, I used to smoke Marlboro Lights, just like Meemaw cigarettes. Um, <laughs> I kind of miss them sometimes, but... Yeah, I used to smoke yeah. hundreds back in America, but they don't actually sell them here. Oh, really? Yeah, so I just have to, like, suffer with my shorties, but it's, it is it is what it is. At least I can smoke indoors here and, like, not oh, be God. shamed for it, so... Envious, yeah. Oh, speaking of shame, that's what I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> I think this kind of... um plays back into everything that we were going over in the first half of the podcast but um as we're like getting like this pushback against you know what i believe is like pretty standard like marxist rhetoric like the pushback is almost always framed around like the political aesthetics of shame i don't even know if it's just aesthetics it's just like the practice of shame so like when you got canceled like, the entire tone of all of the responses to you was how awful you are and how, like, racist you are and how, like, you should be completely, like, dismissed and forgotten about uh, just because they disagreed with 
the like shit tweet that you posted at like 2 a.m yeah uh yeah and tried to uh get sam and gian to fire me which i'm like i don't even know how that would work <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not like i'm not a salaried employee um and also like i mean what you think that they let me write for them because i am just agreeable and and just like post the same liberal bullshit that all these people you know talk about like no no like um, if they wanted that like they would be running you know like vox or like politico <laughs> or something it's not where we are right um yeah i mean the weird thing is is like i don't even know if people were trying to make me like feel ashamed like they were trying to like uh basically like i feel like canceling isn't about like the person it's about like all the people around them mm-hmm. and like trying to like make someone it's not to make you personally feel uh ashamed or like to make you personally feel bad because i think that they know that like you're just gonna get angry it's to make other people like see you the way that they ostensibly see you right um, which is just like is an evil like racist or whatever well that's exactly what they tried to do i mean like um I had people who do not even know you, don't follow you, have just, like, seen your tweets or something before, and then they were messaging me and being like, oh, yeah, like, you're going to talk to your racist friend on the podcast next? I was like, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Like, what What do you want me to say? Like, yes? Um, Like, the oh. entire nature of, like, trying to cancel or deplatform someone, like you said, isn't about, like the individual it's about like the people around them and like getting them to like take the cancelers perspective on the matter and it's so weird too because i'm like if i had posted the same thing and just been like a random like maga account or something you know like if i had actually been like a reactionary person like nobody would have cared no of course right not. it's it's because like i write for like a left-wing magazine yeah. people you know all of a sudden they i'm literally a clansman which is like <laughs> a thing that like somebody like posted it was like my tweet and then like somebody like taking the hood off a clansman it's just like oh i saw didn't it get like like thousands uh, of likes oh yeah i was like eight thousand likes or something it was insane Jesus i was like Christ. I, I was like in proportion to like who I am on the internet. Um, and, and this was like a week after, a week or two after I like, you know, uh, the whole, you know, sort of like Alex Morse thing, I think it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like uh, my article had kind of gone viral and I had all these new followers and like, you know, big sort of media people retweeting the article and uh, Glenn coming on the pod. The guy who originally posted the thing as somebody who's been like antagonistic towards like Twink Revolution, yeah. like before they even started publishing, like just antagonistic towards Sam and Gian and, and all of that. So I really think it was more about them, like my association with them. Right. Uh, that sort of started this whole thing. It's like somebody who has like a vendetta, uh, I guess, because they couldn't be the hot Marxist podcast first. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they're bitter. <laughs> Get over it. Bitter and jealous. And um, I mean, these people do have like a uh, that sort of like 
PMC, uh, like ultra competitive careerist mindset. Yeah. Even though they're like LARPing as Marxist because they just see, you know, Twitter and, and like posting and their like Marxist identity, whether they admit this to themselves as, or not, as like a way of sort of launching like a mini media career or getting like attention. Yeah. I don't even know if they want actual money because a lot of these are just like spoiled rich kids. I think it's more about like just social capital and that's what they're trying to build up. And like, I'm not trying to do that. Like, I mean, I, when I published my first article in Twink Rev, I think I had like 80 followers or something. Mm -hmm. Like I just made a joke on Twitter. Yeah. And about like, I was like, I'm going to write an article called getting DP'd in the age of loneliness about polyamory as like a joke. And uh, Gian was like, I will publish this. And then here we are now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I actually wrote it. And then that was like the first article that they had written, I think, that or that they had published that went viral, it, like ended up on Reddit or something. And um, but like viral in like a good way is mostly positive perception. But right. Um, yeah. And like it just kind of went from there. And I mean, I'm not interested in like building a media career like I write because I, I want to. And uh, I, I don't know. It's insane. Like, like you're studying history for Christ's sakes. Like this is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it if anything, this is like my art, like my online presence will hurt <laughs> my career, if anything, uh, just because I kind of, you know, refuse to to like concede the notion or whatever that anything that I say is is actually what these people think that it is you know like I never apologized for the tweet that got me canceled because I was like no I'm not like what I said wasn't racist and I'm not even going to concede that it could possibly be racist because you're just an idiot and you're being histrionic um (laughs) For no fucking reason. Yeah, like, never apologize to, like, some faux Marxist media careerist with, like, a six-pack with a, you know, gym membership to Planet Fitness. Like, these men are not allowed <laughs> to be apologized to. You simply cannot. No. No. No, it's not, it's not even the Planet Fitness one. These are more, like, Equinox fags. Oh, gross. Yeah. Paying, like... <laughs> my monthly rent for a gym membership. Yeah, so they go get rimmed in the shower. Uh, yeah, disgusting. You're gonna get Shingella. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> like, just, just like be like cute about it, like the rest of us, and go to the fucking bathhouse if you want to like get gross in a steam room. Like, what's wrong with you? I know. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't understand Equinox. Like, what? Like, you want? Why do you want to work out and then like get your ass eaten and like? a public gym that just looks like the mansion of like an Italian pervert. I don't, (laughs) it's disgusting. Like the fucking decadence of that is just like, it's not even like the cool, like trashy gay decadence. It's just like, it's just tragic. It's, it's too, there's like a, what I hate about our like sort of like the decline of uh, the American empire is that it, um, it is decadent, but it's decadent in like the least aesthetically, the least aesthetically pleasing way ever. Yeah, at least like the decline of Rome was aesthetically pleasing. At least it was a little edgy. Bottoms um, everywhere, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but here it's just, I mean, it's sad, cold, and bitter. Like sad. Yeah. Um, just like 
everything is like streamlined and like like you walk into like a rich person's house and it just like it's literally just like a white room with like some beige furniture that all looks the same everything is very open i hate this open concept thing that people have now where you just have like an iphone charger and like a like stiff couch and um like a plant in the corner a plant and like that that's like a sign of like status and like maybe like some dri- like some reclaimed wood or exposed brick <laughs> or something somewhere it, it's oh like the less is more uh like Marie Kondo sort of like throw everything away yeah I mean because like these people can afford everything so like so it's status to have nothing yeah it's yeah it's status to have nothing to look like you have an empty apartment and that's like no fun like I would much rather like live in a completely gaudy like garish space like if I was rich like I would like overfill it with like ugly imitation paintings and like like stupid like Grecian statues you know replicas all over the place lights everywhere like dark colored walls like I want to like look like I live in a haunted Oscar Wilde like nightmare house but these people just like want to live in like you said sterility <laughs> they they want to live in sterility and I think this sort of goes back to shame too because like the sort of I, do you remember when uh there was that couple, which this couple was truly reactionary and like fuck those people. But like in St. Louis, uh, the gun couple oh, the or gun whatever couple, that, yeah. that had just like this gaudy uh, the the Roman columns, like the Corinthian flourishes. Yeah, it looked like uh, like an Epcot Center version of like the <laughs> Vatican. And yeah, I mean, like, but that's very provincial, like bourgeois. Like if that same couple had lived in New York. One, they wouldn't have, like, waved guns at Black people. They would have, like, uh, you know, put, like, a nice, like, BLM uh, poster, like, out in front of their gated porch or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, you know, have had, like, you know, Robin D'Angelo's book as, like, the only thing uh, on their, like, you know, just plain reclaimed wood Ikea bookshelf. And, uh, you know, they would have been good, nice people, um, but still just as, you know, completely evil. Just inside. Yeah, in a complete same. Um, and it's because, like, you know, and those people were being roasted by these just, like, liberal media blue checks who I'm like, you make probably just as much money as these people. Oh, or your absolutely. family has just, has just as much money as these people. And, you know, you're what you're going to go after them like and it's because like they see that as like tacky because these people like the like the that's if you like live like that you want other people to know you're rich like that's the whole purpose of having like that sort of like gaudy like uh faux uh like roman aesthetic or whatever but like the sort of new way to be rich is to pretend that you're like not (laughs) and it's because they're ashamed because like these people, you know, went to college or whatever, and, like, they sort of know how the whole thing works. Like, they know that, they like... They know, yeah. They, they know what they've done, and, <laughs> and, they, and they feel bad about it. Um, of course, like, not bad enough to actually... They take radical like, action or, like, do something, but... So just, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's why you have all of these... Um, there's an entire sort of, like, NGO industrial complex 
that just revolves around like Wall Street and Silicon Valley to just like launder, well, one, to launder actual money for tax purposes, but two, to like launder guilt and reputation. It's like a whole PR sort of thing. Um, and, you know, because these people understand how the system works and like they, I think inside, like uh, there's one aspect of it that is just like PR, but I think that there is like, and I think maybe this is where I split from like the sort of like strict materialist is like, I do think that there is a sort of like internal like angst. Like uh, I wrote an article called uh, Stock Trading for God, Marks in the 21st Century, and Marks in Christianity in the 21st Century mm-hmm. uh, on TwinkRev. And it's all about like how, like the sort of atomization and like loneliness and anxiety um, that comes from like knowing your own mortality and existing under this like capitalist structure that just like, you know, really atomizes people and treats, you know, there's no community, there's no sense of like unified purpose. And like the only way that you can like have a purpose is like through the market. And I think that like for so much of like the elite, they have, they actually do because they've abandoned like religion and they've abandoned the state. They're not uh, trying to make America better anymore. Uh, Like Christopher Lash's revolt of the elites sort of goes through this where, you know, the sort of old elite, they still had like sort of ties to like America as a country and were like, even though they're exploiting the working class in like terrible ways, still like felt the need to, you know, sort of build these public institutions like libraries and yeah. like schools, uh, you know, and like things that were for the public good in mm-hmm. a sense. And like now there's not really it's just all funneled through these vague sort of charities where they, you know, fill the need, like, you know, Bill Gates is like, Oh, I'm going to cure malaria in Africa or, you know, like probably sterilize a bunch of people who knows what he's up to, but like, (laughs) they still like, you know, if they really wanted to solve, uh, you know, a lot of social problems, they could just pay their, uh, their workers more. But they don't want to do that no. because you don't get to launder your guilt um, by just giving your workers a bigger share of the pie. You have to, you know, uh, transfer, you know, this wealth to even poorer, poorer people in, in, you know, Africa. You have to, like, take wealth away from, like, uh, you know, the the factory worker. Yeah, because there's no, like, immediate recognition for it, for, like, um, you know, actually, like, being humane to your working class that you have employed in like your disgusting super factories like improving those people's like situation gives you no like immediate or social reward whereas like these stupid charities that literally everyone is involved with in like these circles like they do that they can get like some nice headlines here and there and whenever like their evil is brought up they can be like well i do all this good so Mm -hmm. and it just totally takes away like it's completely anti-democratic too because like the role of like fixing social problems used to be really i mean in the united states from like sort of like in the post-war period from like the 1950s to the 1980s it really was like the government decided like what social problems are we going to fix are we going to make sure you know we want everybody to have electricity and they did it 
through the Rural Electrification Act, my grandmother did not have electricity or running water in her home until like the late 1960s. And like, that was a government policy. Uh, you know, they decided, okay, well, we're gonna give everyone the polio vaccine. We're gonna give everyone, uh, you know, the tuberculosis vaccine. We're going to, um, you know, create, uh, you know, energy infrastructure. We're gonna create a uh, you know, rail system. We're gonna create a uh, interstate system, whatever. And like, all of that was like, you know, in the hands of like the democratic process in some way, even though it was always kind of flawed. But now, like, it's all up to these just like billionaires who decide like what social ills they're going to fix by like where they put their money. It's like, oh, well, is your kid going to be able to go to a school where uh, like there isn't asbestos in the walls? Well, let's see what LeBron James has to say, you know, <laughs> like, and it's insane that we have just like, like, because you could just tax those people and then we could democratically decide like what we want to do. No, but instead we have to consult with LeBron. Yeah, yeah, we have to consult with LeBron. We have to like rely on Lady Gaga to uh, stop the gay teens from killing themselves or whatever it is that she claims she was doing with that money. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. Um, and I mean, really LeBron and like Lady Gaga, I mean, those are like the small, that's, that's those are pocket like small change. fish. Yeah, like Lady Gaga's millions of dollars she spent on that van to do who knows what with. Like that's nothing in comparison to like, you know, actual billionaires. Yeah, uh, like the only one who I don't think does any charity that I know of is like Elon Musk, who I think is like the id of like the modern capitalist class. These just like <laughs> completely like delusional uh, people who like see themselves as uh, sort of like Ubermensch, uh, like uh, almost like gods on earth. And we really are returning to uh, capitalism was always kind of an untenable thing it was supposed to be like in, in like traditional marxism like it was supposed to be like a transition because like, right. capitalism is good it can build up the capacities that you need to provide for everyone of which we have that now we have enough food for everyone we have enough housing for everyone we have enough you know healthcare infrastructure for everyone uh except for well in most cases uh but it's just not allocated correctly so what you have to do is you have enforced scarcity like you have like scarcity created from above like the federal reserve will you know uh literally like reduce interest rates to drive up unemployment uh to like you know shore up the credit markets or whatever and like so people will borrow more money and use more credit cards and do all of that and so and to keep labor prices down i mean like we have harnessed the entire power of the state to um mostly through monetary policy but also through you know government budgets and stuff like that to basically ensure that capitalism doesn't collapse under the weight of its own success mm -hmm. which was you know marxist theory of like how the revolution would come is that it would just kind of get to a point where money wouldn't really matter anymore because you're just producing so much yeah. um and um but because that isn't happening and we're just constantly going through these cycles of like destroying our own economy essentially to uh so the capitalism can sustain itself i think we're sort of drifting back to a sort of like feudalism and like if you think about somebody like elon musk who sees himself like much in the way that like you know as like a, a sort like a of um, figure. 
a Nietzschean figure, but I mean, it even goes back farther to like, like a, a Roman or not a Roman, like an ancient Egyptian Pharaoh who just Hot. wants, yeah, yeah. Who's just like, I, you know, I am going to live forever. I'm going to live on Mars. Um, you know, just the mass opulence of, you know, all of this, I'm going to create all of these things that only I can use. Um, and we're going to use, you know, indentured servitude or slavery to do it. Yes, all um, of this, and I'm going to fuck Grimes while I'm at it. Yeah, but instead of building, like, pyramids, he's just, like, you know, Jerking building <laughs> cars that don't work and, uh, like, private space shuttles so that, you know, you can, you know, recruit people to go mine Mars or something. It's insane. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean these people have just been allowed to conceive of themselves as, you know, um, as like above the rest of us and just the hubris, um, I think is exemplified by him because he's literally said like, he doesn't think that he will die. Like he's convinced that he's going to find some way to like live forever through like transhumanism or whatever. And I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't really believe in God, but like sometimes I kind of wish, you know, there was a God just so that he would, you know, put these people in their place. Like just. <laughs> yeah. See um, him in the seventh circle. Like I would like to see it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you think that you could become God, you know? Um, well, just, do you see, <laughs> just, do you wait and see. Yeah. And then, and then the rest of them are, are just sort of, they're just so completely disconnected from like the average person that they really are almost like a different species. Yeah, the lizard people have, like, not come from elsewhere. We just turned into them over time. Yeah, I mean, like, right-wingers, I've always said that, like, the right, the far-right sort of, like, conspiratorial um, people, like, who believe in, like, the Illuminati or, like, the lizard people or whatever, they're kind of onto something. Not that they're the people are actually lizards or that they're actually, like, the Illuminati, but, like, there is like a cabal of people who are like running the country and pulling all the strings. It's just like, it's just them, the capitalist <laughs> class. So yeah. like, it's like, it is like a small group of people who own everything and control basically everything in our lives. And they're and people feel powerless. And like, that's why I, I kind of trust like the right wing instinct in some things because they're more they're a lot more honest than like liberals are because liberals just kind of pretend like this doesn't really exist like they just pretend like these people are crazy for thinking that like for not having real like faith in like the democratic process or whatever um like just like voting for joe biden um but like no like these right-wing nuts like they they um they don't they sense something's going wrong but they don't know exactly what it is right and so they come up with all these different explanations for what this thing is this thing that they know that they're not in control yeah but they can't come i don't i don't know if it's because of like the legacy of the red scare or like because marxists are just so insular at this point in time and they're not really talking to these sorts of people because they think that they're just irredeemable racists or Mm -hmm. whatever but like they just can't come to the conclusion that the culprit is capitalism. Yeah. The culprit is capitalism. The people who are controlling your life are capitalists. They're not lizards. They're not Jews. They're not whatever. <laughs> like, 
it's just simply capitalists. And I think it goes back to the idea of shame because uh, I rarely ever see conservatives shaming liberals or the left. Like, they may, like, viciously and justly, like, make fun of and humiliate, but it's never, like, shaming or, like, trying to, like, guilt people into coming to their political point of view. And I think that's because they realize it's, like, not effective and it's, like, more enticing to, like, be exorbitant and glamorous and, like, obsessed with, like, your own, like, political image. So, meanwhile, on the left, like, we're all just, like, bickering with each other and, like, trying to guilt each other into, you know, one worldview. Meanwhile, like, on the right, people have kind of ascended that in some ways. Yeah, well, I think it's because liberals kind of, one, it's like a secular sort of, because like the left is like very secular. And so like, if you're like a, like a right winger, like, I mean, my parents are like, you know, evangelical Christians, Republicans and all that. And like, their shame comes from like, you know, the old religious, like, oh, you cursed or you drank or you uh you sinned in the eyes of god yeah yeah and they feel shame about their like personal behavior and then liberals feel shame about their uh quote-unquote like privilege which may or may not be like real um (laughs) and but they feel bad about their uh you know their class position or their you know white privilege or they feel bad about you know, these sort of like abstract sort of societal things, but they don't really feel bad about their personal actions or their behavior. Yeah. Unless it's channeled through one of those things. They're like, I feel bad because I, you know, made this joke about Asian women being bad drivers in 2010 on Twitter and someone has brought it up (laughs) and like it, and it's just, like, you don't really feel bad about that, first of all. And, like, <laughs> the the whole, like, practice of shame there is all about, like, once again, like, the theater and, like, the performativity of it. Because you're not, like, doing it because you actually, like, feel, like, genuine deep shame about it. Like, you feel, like, fear of retaliation and of anger from your peers. Yeah, and it's it's very, like, cult-like, this whole thing now. Because, I mean, I mean, you think about, like, con- normally in like most religions like you confess privately like you confess to the yeah. priest or you like pray directly to god or whatever uh and you tr- then maybe you try to atone for it in some way um but now you but must like, self-flagellate in the streets of twitter and yeah and you must admit your sins to uh you know the the town square and everyone gets to tar and feather you and um yeah, and it is kind of just like going back to the, like the feudal system of like public shaming because there is no like like it, it comes from like a point of like weakness and like downward mobility. Yeah. I think on like the part of like a lot of people in like the Twitter sort of like discourse is because like they know that they're never going to have like real capital, and so what they want is social capital. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way is through the attention economy. <laughs> so- yeah. They just buy right in, and uh, if you're not going to be able to make, like, a career, like, publishing, like, your awful navel-gazing, like, self-narratives in, like, The New Yorker or something, then the best thing you can do is call River Page a racist on Twitter. Yeah, and and it all has to become, like, 
personalized too. We've really over, and it's because of this, like there's this sort of strange thing that exists where, and it's kind of what it's going back to what I was saying earlier is like, you know, Marxism sort of provides like a materialist, fairly neutral uh, narrative of how the society works. Mm-hmm. Um, that was replaced in the 1960s with the new left where you have all of these competing sort of like theories of, uh, you know, like white supremacy, not as like as a totalizing system that can be extrapolated to concepts where it would never traditionally apply like Ireland in, you know, the 1800s or something. I think Mm -hmm. Angela Nagel wrote something about that or, you know, uh, expropriated to, you know, just various contexts where it just doesn't have any historical or material significance or, you know, feminism just, you know, as a concept for like, this is how this explains everything. Um, or, um, you know, whatever. And, And all of these sort of, but that coincided with like a, the collapse of the, uh, sort of democratic society as we know it, like with the social contract uh, between, you know, sort of workers and capital, like that was facilitated through labor unions um, that, you know, the average American should be able to share in the prosperity of like the post-war era. Right. Um, And that sort of went away. Everything became individualized. It became all about like you and like the only way to escape your own personal shortcomings because this is what we've been sort of trained to believe that like if you failed it's your fault Mm -hmm. unless you're part of one of these groups in which case now you have a narrative that uh sort of you can use to explain why um you know you're not uh while you're why you are not like uh, upwardly mobile uh, it's because of your race. It's because of your gender. Um, but it can't ever be about your class, right? No, of course like, not. Which would be a much similar, a much better explanation. And honestly, like, you know, a lot of these people who are, you know, complaining or like, you know, I don't even want to say complaining, like probably genuinely aggrieved or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, sure, like, you know, if, if, for instance, like if you're a black person who's, you know, having trouble with mobility, that might have more to do with the class that you were born into, because if your parents were like wealthy, you know, Nigerian doctors or something, you would probably be doing a lot better than you are now. Um, and the same thing goes, you know, with, with a lot of other things. And I think that it's, and that's why people call me a class reductionist, but um, yeah, I think that like this, like, desire to people don't like the whole individualist thing and so they're trying to escape that but they're just grasping for all of these like contradictory um ideas and then trying to synthesize them like women are oppressed death spiral downward yeah it's just trying to clasp onto anything you can women are oppressed but women also white women also oppress black men but black men are oppressed but they also black women but then like sometimes the whole like black white narrative gets cast on to like latino people and asian people and like none of that makes sense really and then you know it's just all very confused because like you really do need like 
you know, a sort of, I don't want to say one narrative, but you need like an overarching theme. Like you, you need like a way to explain the material world that is material. And you're not going to find that through these other models because these other models have to do with more to do with individual relations or specific historical, in the case of the white supremacy model, specific, you know, historical contexts uh, that have, you know, created systems that have perpetuated, but in a specific context, uh, historically and geographically, that you cannot expropriate to, you know, uh, Poland or whatever, you know, Uh, or Japan. And so, yeah, it's all just a mess. I I wish these people would just... uh, stop reading white fragility yeah (laughs) yeah and and just like start reading barks and um you know maybe they would understand but yeah because then maybe instead of spending all of our time like shaming people for like these like ornate and like labyrinth like institutions of you know identity politics like instead we could be shaming people for not taking care of their skin and being ugly yeah exactly we've really lost shallowness as a culture. Uh, everyone's so serious now and it's... And so ugly. There's n- The only hot people left are like conservative men. Like everyone else is like really not cutting it. <laughs> yeah. And like I've been saying it for a long time, like the allure of uh, the reactionary is, is like strong from an aesthetic standpoint. Like... It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> it just simply yeah. is. I mean, like, Lana Del Rey has been doing it for a long time. But, I mean, it's not like, I don't think that Lana Del Rey is actually reactionary. I think that she's just, like, uh, expressing something that most straight women and also gay men, like, truly want, which is just, like, a toxic uh, relationship that, like, makes you feel alive in this dead, dead world. Exactly. Um, Yeah, people, like, don't really... I feel like there was like a weird thing in like the emo sort of phase where people, if I had been older at the time, I would have really had a heyday with this sort of thing. But like, you know, the whole like epidemic of teens cutting themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And everyone was just like, oh, well, this is this is angst. This is whatever they would try to filter through like some sort of identity paradigm. Like these are all like queer teens or like whatever. (laughs) And like... It was like, no, like people just want, like people just want to feel alive because they feel fucking dead inside because they've just been reduced to like individualist consumers. And like, that is where the allure of Lana Del Rey comes in because she like just wants, she wants it all. She wants to feel in love, but she also feels miserable. She wants to feel alive and like feel like she's in danger uh, because we've completely lost like all human na- like all, danger yeah it's like yeah. so abstracted now like she just wants like her fantasy of like having her suffering like made tangible in like this exciting relationship like don't we all yeah i mean like that's i think that's probably the reason for the rise in all this like bdsm sort of culture Ooh, to... that's a hot take i love it <laughs> yeah which i really resent how like that's because that's also been i did like sort of channeled through like an i an identity ID politics yeah totally yeah has. like the kink community oh, for and i'm like oh it's sake. so fucking retarded like just i'm sorry i probably shouldn't say that it's one. fine i'm not gonna censor you <laughs> yeah well it's so fucking it, it's stupid like i'm like 
nobody is oppressing like if you want to get like fisted inside the comfort of your own home like, like, it should not be like a safe you. space like who wants to be like fisted in a safe space yeah they're gonna destroy uh the allure of like kinky sex by making it sterile and i'm so like i'm like this is all like set to fail like the true the true kinksters are like wife swapping uh like reactionaries yeah. in the suburbs who like go to church on Sunday and nobody knows that they're like in anything besides like a missionary sex. Like yeah, they're getting monogamous. railed with a fire rod on like Tuesday night in a back alley, you know? Yeah. Like those are the people who are really preserving the culture, uh, having a good time. Yeah. yeah. Because, because uh, they're ashamed of what they do. Um, Cause shame can be hot sometimes. Like some people want that. Yeah. And um, shame can be hot. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful note to wrap it up on. I think we we really made full circle there. Yeah. Uh, where can people find like your writing and um, your delicious hot content? Uh, you can find me on twinkrev.com um, or you can find me on my Twitter at Lefty Otter. Yeah, I will include links to the um, stories you talked about that you published in the description. So please check it out. Um yeah thank you so much for coming on this has been delightful yeah thanks for having me all right everyone ciao